look, I started with a dollar and a dream, right? So I could show these people how to dream, right? Show them how to aim for the stars and take it to the arenas from the streetlights. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakam, and producer Marcus Sazen behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, my one and only MGK brother, Colin Taylor. Colin is an actor, strength coach, and professional football player, as well as the host of the Cutoffs and Coffee podcast, where we had an amazing conversation just a couple months ago that really made me want to have him back on and continue these conversations. Today, we talked about living with gratitude and how you can kind of switch your life over into doing that. The importance of camaraderie and consistency in a training program and why these things really outweigh the sets and reps. And then the importance of Olympic lifting or not and why this argument is kind of old school in what we really want to accomplish with our athletes. Colin is a friend, brother, and just brings great energy into life and the podcast. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this one. Hopefully, you guys get as much out of it as I did. Lace up. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakam Strength Insider. The Yoakam Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakam Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakam Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF Nutrition and Lifestyle Guidelines, That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, let's do this thing. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high-performance really is. Well, brother, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Bro, glad to be here. I, uh, I'm fasted. I took my nootropics this morning. I got my red light going. I got my caffeine. So I'm, primed. I'm trying to prime my brain for an elite conversation that I know we're about to have. So I appreciate you having me on, man. Been a, been a big fan for a while, been a follower for a while. Um, love what you're doing. Keep, keep fighting the good fight. Keep spreading the word that you're spreading. Um, I'm, and I'm excited to dive into this conversation. I was going to say, yeah, you and I, uh, we, we had the cutoffs and coffee podcast that uh, when you invited me on and now we got to really live up to that conversation. Cause that was, that was like, I, I tell people all the time, like that was one of my favorite con- conversations in general, like I've ever had, you know, like I felt like we just kind of rifted off of each other. We talked about MGK. We, we got in some deep rabbit holes on like the psychology behind things that we were able to ebb and flow between things. So hopefully we can live up to the expectations of our first conversation. Oh yeah. I don't see any, I don't see any reason that we would start falling off now. You know what I mean? Especially conversation number two. Uh, I'm sure you just had a great training session. You know what I mean? Blood flowing. You're you're feeling good. All good to go. So, uh, I mean, let's do it. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I got 200 milligrams of caffeine in my dome right now. Uh, we're not <laughs> wearing cool. we're not we're not wearing cutoffs, which is a tough, tough look for us. But um, well, may, maybe episode three, we'll, we'll kind of change that. Maybe around three, we'll, we'll we'll put on the cutoffs and we'll, we'll change it. But do you want to tell the listeners kind of a little bit about yourself? Uh, you, you have a you have a kind of a cool background story. You have you have a lot of things that you've done. 
uh, and a lot of things that you're doing now. And I, I love asking guests like yourself, uh, like kind of that winding process and that winding journey to kind of get to where you're at right now. And where did it kind of start for you? Yeah, great question. I, I appreciate you asking this. And, um, you know, this gives me an opportunity to thank the people who have kind of gotten me to this point. Um, but then also gets me the, the great opportunity to be able to kind of talk people through what made me me today. Um, so I grew up in Indianapolis to a incredible family like I, I would be remiss if I did not talk about how supportive my 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 parents and my sister were growing up. Um, my sister was a big time athlete. She was a uh, track and field athlete at Indiana. So I basically grew up like following her footsteps. I, I was, you know, playing catch with my dad when my sister was at soccer practice and then dad's coaching her softball games. So I'm in the back, like running around and sprinting and playing tag with the buddies. Um, you know, I'm going to my baseball game. She's like painting my nails and I think it's cool. Like I'm literally, I'm doing that stuff before it was tight, you know, like before uh, machine gun Kelly has his nails black. Mine were black before every baseball game growing up. Um, just because like, I wanted to be that, like, I wanted to be my sister. I wanted to be like an awesome athlete who really cared about people and inspired people. And I knew, and I could tell she did that from the moment, um, you know, that I was brought into this world. So played high school sports, tried to play as many as I could. Um, but coming into high school, I was 99 pounds. I was, I was five, eight, 99 pounds. And it was one of those things, like the first time we weighed in at football practice, the coach, you know, kind of like tips the scale over. He, he sees it's less than a hundred. He looks at me and then he looks at the guy to the right and he says, 125. I said, I appreciate that coach. I need all the help I can get. Right. So like, I didn't even fit a Jersey. I didn't fit in pads. I didn't fit in helmets, but I, I knew there was something about the team sport aspect in football that, that really drove me to be better. So my sophomore year, my best friend came up to me, um, still, still to this day, my best friend guy, who's going to be the best man at my wedding. Um, he says, Hey man, you want to play at Indiana, right? Like your sister. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And this is now 125 pounds CT. Um, he's like, do you think all the guys you're competing against are 125 pounds? And do you think they're like running around in the back and like having recess? Or do you think they're training? And I was like, oh, they're probably training. And he says, well, we should probably start training. And I've been lifting a little bit with my dad in the basement, you know, doing some bench press and like some lat pull downs and stuff. And I love that time with him. Um, but my best friend who starts picking me up at five in the morning in high school. So he picks me up, we get to the gym, no idea what to do, but there's one guy in there who's jacked like crazy lats all the way down to like this tiny waistline arms, like 23, 24 inches big. So literally we, and I would love to see this dude sometime. Now we would follow this dude around the weight room at a, at a pretty comfortable distance. And we would just do the same things he was doing. Right. So like this dude's doing wide grip pull-ups, I'm jumping on there trying to do wide grip pull-ups. He's doing bench. You know, he throws 225 on there. I throw like 95 and I'm struggling to get it up three or four times, but this was the routine that we took on for the next two years. I mean, every morning, like Monday through Friday, we were in there and that's how I learned to train. Um, not just this dude, but you know, we were getting the magazines like, Hey bro, we've been, we've been on this dope training program, which has been what this guy's been doing for six weeks. Like what if we buy, you know, 12 weeks to bigger biceps and we start hitting the 12 weeks to bigger biceps that, that, you know, the guy in muscle and fitness was, was doing. And then we do like six weeks to six pack abs and we would do that. And what I learned about that was like, I learned camaraderie. I learned consistency. Um, I learned like being there for another person when I didn't want to be there. And I think that was like the biggest thing that I learned through those sessions is like the training was whatever I, anything was going to work. Um, and I know that now, but then it was, I was doing that 
and I was becoming a better human being throughout the process. Um, so I ended up getting an opportunity after my senior year to walk on at Indiana University, which was a, just a huge blessing. And that's where my sister went. My grandfather went so that I, I always wanted to do that. Walk onto the football team. Um, there's a tryout. I think I'm on the team. I show up to, to, to the tryout date. I'm one of 99 other guys in this tryout. So it turns out I wasn't on the team. End up after this tryout, I like out jump everybody. Um, for some reason, my training was, was working at the time. You know, I out jump everybody, run decent, do all the drills decent, but I'm getting open, like playing receiver against defensive backs from all over the nation. I'm just getting open. Um, I'd, I'd never done any ladder drills. I'd never worked with a hurdle. Um, I just watched a lot of football and I, and I was, I would record, uh, Peter Warwick, like in the, in the sugar bowl in 1999, like I record this, these games on VHS and I'd watch them back and I'd watch them over and over and over. I'm like, okay, this is what he's doing. So I would just do that in one-on-ones. And so I ended up having some success, made the team played pretty well, um, worked, worked myself into a starting role my sophomore year as a walk-on. So, you know, I, I know you were at the division one level for, for a bit and, and division three program for a while, but like a lot of guys at that place don't get the opportunity to play. So I've now put myself in a situation where I'm out playing like eight to 10 other fully paid scholarship guys. And I'm 180, 185 pounds. And, um, in camp, I'm a one. I go through the whole camp. I'm a one. I'm balling. I come to game one. We run all the packages. We play with all the packages except the one I was in, right? Like the one or two I was in, five wide spread, whatever it was. Next game, same thing. Next game, same thing. But the whole time, I'm a one in practice. So I go to coach. Uh, like after the third week of the, uh, third week of the season, I, I sit down in his office. I go, coach, I'm playing better than everybody else. And like, everybody's saying, it. it's not just me saying it. People are saying it to me like, bro, why don't you get on the field? Whatever. I said, why aren't I playing? He said, CT, to be honest, you're not strong enough to play in the big 10. And I was like, okay, so it has nothing to do with how I'm playing. I just got to get stronger. Right. So from that day, and like, this is just the type of guy I am. This is how, this is how I was raised. Like, oh, I'm not strong enough. I'm going to get strong enough. Right. So the rest of the year, special teams, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm not in a good headspace for, um, for that whole season, but I'm training really hard year later. I, I, uh, we test our bench. I break the all time receiver bench record at Indiana. So it was 21 at the time, 225 reps, 21. I do it 24 times at this point. I'm the strongest wide receiver to ever play football at Indiana university. And I go back in this guy's office and I'm like, Hey coach, I wasn't strong enough. Now what? Right. He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I see, you know, you're doing a great job. Like we're strengthening this and coach really put some weight on you. Um, we just, we need to see your speed and we're in an off season now we need to see your speed. Okay. So we test, we do all the speed stuff. We run our forties, we run our flying tens. I'm the second fastest flying 10 on the team behind a eventual like seventh round draft pick dude who, who was going to run for like the USA men's four by 100 team. I'm the next guy fastest to him. And then he says, Oh, um, we're going to try you out at this different position. Right. So it was like all this stuff. I spent a year and a half trying to prove this dude wrong and show him that like, I deserve to be on the field. And that was the excuse he came up with. Like just the laziest thing that could come to mind. Oh, you're not strong enough. Get strong enough. Check the box. You're not fast enough. Get fast enough. Check the box, play another position, go to this position coach. He says to me, and this will all make sense, obviously down the line. He says to me, he goes, he was like, CT, you were never going to play for him. I said, why was that? He said, because he recruited your area and didn't recruit you. That's a bad look on this coach. He said, I didn't recruit your area. I'm going to play the best player. You right now are the best player at this position. So I played safety my last year. Um, 
and, and ended up having a good, a good final season and, and senior year there. Um, completely wasted my time for years. I mean, if you just would have said that, I could have understood that. I would have been fine with that. Um, but I also learned so much about myself through that whole process. So get out, get the opportunity to play professionally, end up, end up having a, a pretty good career, played for uh, 10 years in the Arena Football League, um, bounced around Cleveland, New York. I spent some time in Iowa, spent some time um, in a couple other cities, but uh, retired as like one of the top three leading receivers in Cleveland Gladiators history, um, have four or five, franchise records, um, consecutive games with a touchdown receiving yards in a, in a season and all, and all these things. Um, and it was just, it, it was just from trying to prove this original guy wrong that I like that I could do it. And I recognized that for a long time. Like I'm just fighting to show this guy that I could do it wrong. Actually, I, I scored my hundredth touchdown in the league. Um, and the day after the game, I took the football and I went to UPS. Well, Colin, you were telling us about uh, the scoring the hundred touchdown right before the uh, right before the technical difficulty. You want to start that story back up? Yeah. So I, I apologize. That's that's on me. Amateur hour. I got to make sure my Wi-Fi is tightened up. Um, yeah. So I, I score. I end up scoring my hundred touchdown in a professional football league. And I decided I was going to take, and I decided this from touchdown number one, that I was going to take my hundred touchdown. I was going to send it to this coach through UPS with a little note, like basically like, um, thanks for believing in me. Right. Like obviously tongue in cheek. Um, and I put it in the package. I like went up to the front and I started to get it processed. And then I stopped and I thought, you know what, like I'm better than this. I'm bigger than this. This hundredth touchdown is going to look better, you know, on my mom's mantle than it would be on, on his. Um, and so really like after that moment, I, I completely switched my approach to just like playing with gratitude and living with gratitude um, as opposed, as opposed to just like fighting so hard to prove people wrong who said, I said, I couldn't do these things. Um, you know, cause ultimately I just thought like, I, I want to affect them the way they affected me. Um, but I just, I don't think that this guy ever thought about me. You know, like I, I, I don't think the coaches who who didn't think I was good enough or the other players who didn't think I was good enough. I don't think they lost sleep at night. So I thought, you know what, let me let me be grateful to be here. Like, let me live to try to be a a, a good role model for for my nieces, for my niece and my nephews. Like, let me try to inspire people. Um, let me try to be more like my sister because I got away from being like that. Um because I was just like the football player. I was like CT, the professional football player. And like, that was it. You couldn't tell me nothing. Um, so really for the last, you know, the last five years of my playing career, and then the three or four years since then, like that has been my focus. How can I benefit the most people? How can I bring, you know, love and affection to most people possible um, and affect the most lives and have them understand that like, I'm there for them and anything they need, like I'm, I'm willing to help them out. And then, and that's how I got into this. And that's pretty much like the base of everything I, everything I do now um, to where I'm at in training, to where I'm at in, in the entertainment industry. It just like all goes back to that. Like, how can I make people smile? How can I make people laugh? How can I make people better? And that's a much better place to live from than, um, you know, in like pain and suffering and, and agony. So I'm happy I made that switch and I'm just like grateful every single day to be in the position I'm in now. Dude, I think that's probably why we connect so well. Like we connected like instantly because I was, I mean, I, I talk about that story all the time. Like that, that was a lot of what I was doing as well. It's like, just prove this person wrong. I, I keep a notebook. Uh, I had a notebook my freshman year that I wrote like on the front of it. It's like, prove them wrong. Like that was this front of the notebook. Yeah. I just wrote all the training logs and everything in there, but it was all fueled by like exactly what you were saying. It was like, prove people wrong. Like 
shut them up, that type of thing. You know, like that, that, that kind of hatred, you know, like it's fire, fire, it's powerful. I'm always interested in talking to people like yourself in one, because you said you went to ship the football uh, and you decided not to. What, like, what kind of was that decision and how did that snowball your life? Because I know like in my own personal decision, how that kind of happened. I'm always interested in doing that. And two, is it possible to reach the highest of levels, the highest of performance without a fuel source like that, you know, like, cause that's something that I know. And I, I was the same way. Like I, there was points where I was like, I know this is the wrong way. Like I'm not, I don't, doesn't matter the accomplishment. I'm not satisfied. I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about my life yet. I clung to that fuel source for the longest time. Cause I was so scared to let it go. Interested in your thoughts on that. Like, can you still reach the highest level living with gratitude and in that process? And I'm sure you've experienced it in the three to four years after you switched through there. And then two, what was really like that light bulb moment? And was it a, a singular moment that changed everything? Or was it a singular moment that snowballed the process of trying to better your life in a way where you can live with gratitude rather than living like, cause it, it's so long. Like you live your life so long in that, like eight years of like proving people wrong. And then it's the, it's the tough part because I see this with athletes all the time. They're rewarded for it. You know, like same with you, same with me, like we are rewarded with it. We scored a hundred touchdowns, you know, like you're doing all these things and everybody's telling you you're right, but you know yourself you're wrong. So interested in that thought process for you and how, how you kind of went about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to kind of like navigate through this with you. Um, when I was standing there at UPS and I, and I was at the front desk and I was talking to the lady and she's like, all right, the name, the address, right? Like I got it all. I got fuel. And like, it was a great idea. Like my toughest decision was, is the ball going to be blown up or is it going to be deflated? Like which one's going to ship easier? Like that was the only thing that I was worried about. Um, ultimately I was talking to this lady and then I thought, okay, I'm going to have to tell my, I'm going to have to tell my dad this. I'm going to have to tell my mom this. Is this something that I want them to think that like that would make them proud? Right. Because I think about, you know, that my mom would take me from baseball, a baseball game. We'd jump in and she'd rush me to, to the swim meet. I would change in the locker room. I would put my swimsuit on. I would jump in. I'd swim the team relay. And then I would go put my basketball shoes on and my shorts over my swimsuit. And then I'd go to basketball practice. Like that kid that was in the back seat. Is that the same dude that's like sitting there at UPS who was playing for the last five years just to like spite this one individual who probably doesn't even think about me on a on a daily basis? Um, and that's what really stepped me away. Like, could I look my father in the eyes and be like, hey, I know you've been turning me into the man that I am today the last, you know, 20, 24, 25 years. This is the man that you created. And I just didn't feel comfortable having those conversations. Um, so I stopped. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I would have to think um, because it, it was, it was kind of a, it was one moment, but it was, it was moments where I switched because I did it. I had success. It was great. Again, I felt success. My family felt success. My friends felt success. Nobody knew this was going on either, by the way. Like, it's not like I'm on the phone with my mom. Like I'm at 98, like I'm at 99. I can't, wait. you know what I mean? Like that was, this was just like an internal thing I was dealing with. So literally the game after that, we played, we played in Jacksonville. The game after that, um, we come home and we're playing a home game in Cleveland and I'm on the field and I got two of my best friends are my quarterbacks, good buddies, like still some of my good friends today. My niece and nephew walk in the arena and this, uh, dude, it's funny. This stuff always chokes me up. Um, my niece and nephew walk in the arena and I hear my nephew over 10,000 people 
scream, Uncle C, that's my uncle. That's my uncle down there. Right. And I look right up and I see him and like, they are so happy to be there. Right. And then they say, tell Mr. Chris, I said, hi, Mr. Chris was one of the quarterbacks. I said, Chris, Hey, my nephew's up there. Right. Hey, tell Mr. Shane. Right. I grabbed Mr. Shane. I'm like, Hey man, shoot Mr. Shane. Right. And so we're like down there. He comes down, we give him a hug. Like I kiss the guy and he goes back up there. And like, that's when I realized like, that's what it's for. That's what it's about. Like, it's not about any of that other stuff. Um, and, and then I, I, I played like with that mindset, like the rest of my, the rest of my life. I got, I mean, I had, I, I got, um, the word inspire tattooed on my forearm in my sister's handwriting because that's who I wanted to be. And I realized I was not being that when I was that other guy. And when I was playing to spite people and, and just like playing mad, you know, I, I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I wasn't, I wasn't the, the man I wanted to be. I, um, again, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to over dramatize it. I wasn't like going out, you know, Wednesday through Sunday night and like diving into drugs and like being, a, it wasn't anything like that, but it was just like things that when I was home and I was quiet and I was thinking about like these things running through my mind. Um, I also think if you ask every individual who's ever been to a high level, right? Like kind of what, whatever their thing is. Um, I think everybody's got to have that moment. Um, it would be nice if that wasn't necessary, but I think that's what causes people to push through. I think that's like the breaking point sometimes, right? We always see the meme, like you're, you're digging, you're digging, you're digging, and then you stop. Right. And then just one more, what if you just chopped wood one more time, you'd get there, right? Like you'd get to where you needed to be. Um, and I think people need that to get them through. Um, but then once you're on the other side, it's so easy to be able to digest it and realize that what you're doing now and living in gratitude and, and being happy just to be here and like being where like your toes are and being in this situation and being here on this podcast, talking to you, like, this is the most important thing to me in the past. It wouldn't have been, cause I would have been thinking about the future. I would have been thinking about the past, but now I can sit here and be so grateful for this opportunity to talk to you where we get to have these conversations and people listen and, and some people actually get something from it. And I think that's so much more important than just like fighting, 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 just to say, I told you so. Um, so every accomplishment I've had since then and everyone that I have in leading up and further from now, that's why kind of in the beginning, like I just thank everybody along the journey because without all of that, I would have still been that guy playing to spite people. And I, I wouldn't have liked who, who I was and who I, who I had become. Yeah. And it feels like such a, it's such a cleaner source of energy to me. You know, like that's how I feel like it's so much less like, I don't know, baggage and like holding you back. And like the, 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 the feeling like what you were talking about, like when you're just home alone, when you're done with all of it, it's and the lights are off. It's like, okay, like what, what, you know, like, are you happy with that? Like, are you proud of that? Are you able to be alone? And most of the time the answer is no, if you feel that way. And that's something that I want to talk to you about too, is like, now trying to, you, you've been through it because this is something that I see. It's like now you, I'm sure you see like mini use, you know, like the, where they're still going through that journey and trying to get them to realize like, this is what they're doing. Like you can tell, I, you can see it pretty clearly in a lot of the athletes. It's like you're doing that despite somebody. You're not doing this out of love. You're not doing that <laughs> out of gratitude. You're doing it despite somebody. Right. And something like, I like, like the, the impact that one coach negatively had on your life, you know, like that one person, and like you said, like a lot of it, because this is what I think about too, is like that, that coach probably doesn't even think about it. You know, like he was just, he's just a lazy coach that didn't want to be proved wrong. And his ego is ridiculous. He has no idea, like the impact he had on your life, like no idea the negative impact he had on his life by saying like, well, how many times did you meet? Like twice, you know, like you, you brought up those two meetings and in those two meetings, 
put that much negative fire into your life. And now you as a coach, and this is something that I'm trying to be like, I try to be super hyper aware of is you have that impact, you know, like you, we, we have that impact on our athletes, like every single meeting, every single time you're talking and interacting with your athletes, it's like that could be the meeting where they take that and go through the rest of life trying to prove you wrong, you know, or it could be the meeting that they remember the rest of the life of, all right, I can live my life through gratitude. I don't have to prove this person wrong. I don't have to live my life full of hate. Dude, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Like hyper aware. That's a great way to say it because like you said, a lot of, a lot of coaches are just trying to get, I think at least, and the, and the ones that I see and the ones that I'm around, they're just trying to like get by, like, what do I got to do? Okay. I got to be at this meeting. I got to run this meeting. I got to watch this film. I got to go in this weight room. I got to, Oh, you're doing something. I don't want you to do. Well, get out then. You know, like th- there's that all the time. Oh, you could just leave. Right. And it's like, do you have any idea what this person is going through? Like you, you probably don't. And just because it was done to you is not an excuse to the reason that you can do it to them. Um, and one thing that I've been really trying to push. So I, I recently took a, took a new role at our facility where I'm kind of overseeing all of our, all of our, what we call offsite accounts. So we basically have replaced some division two and division three strength coaches, right. Who are usually hired by the school. We've got athletes who train at our facility who through word of mouth have expressed to their ADs or their sport coaches that they like the training we do. So we now replace our coaches with the strength coaches. So it's not as many hours. You're not as worn out. You don't get burned out as easy. And it's, and it's a great, um, it's a great situation. We, we kind of figured out here where uh, we've got coaches in like 14 or 16 different schools. So I've started three of these programs and I'll be there for a year, year and a half, and then bring some other coaches in, train some other coaches and let them, you know, let them do their thing. And then we kind of move on. And my, my biggest focus recently has been these conversations with coaches that like, you have to be vulnerable and you have to show these athletes that you care and that you have a heart because I get a, let's say women's lacrosse player who walks in for the first time and she's meeting, she's meeting the strength coach CT, right? CT has got a backwards hat, tattooed sleeve. Uh, he's wearing an, an Allen Iverson t-shirt and has his nose pierced and a beard, right? It's kind of like, okay, that's kind of an, an intimidating situation, right? So I'm going to say yes or no, sir, whatever you need. Oh, I'm not, I'm not reaching depth on my squat. Yes, sir. I will get to depth, right? But anybody can do that. Like I could, there's probably a dude walking by my house right now who I could put in that situation who could sit up on the board and say, Hey, make sure you get this done. Do this. It's five. It's, it's, it's five sets here. And it's only three sets here. Make sure you do it, get it done and get it done as hard as you can. And if you don't, you, you do burpees, right? So like anybody can do that, but what do we have to bring? Like, what do I have to bring as a coach in that situation to not only make it more intimidating, less intimidating, but to have athletes understand that like, dude, I was just there. Oh, I get it. Like, you're having relationship issues. You haven't slept very well. Your coach is over conditioning you. You guys are in the weight room too often. The food you're eating is crummy. You just got a dog. And like, there's so much snow at your parents' house that they can't get out and you're worried about them. Like, I understand that, right? But if I don't do a good job of like setting the scene for them when I get there by making jokes, by saying things to them that are relatable, by like telling these type of stories to them, then I'm just like another dude, like you say, in a tight polo sitting up there, tell him to do three sets of 10. And it's so much more than that. Um, and so, you know, and it, excuse me, I kind of got off, got off the path there, but like that to me has been the importance of when we have coaches going into schools and when we have them in weight rooms and when we have them doing small group training and team training, one-on-one training, it's like, what are you bringing that the other person is not bringing? 
bring personality, like ask questions. What do they want to do? Like, where have they been? Uh, I, I even said last night, I, I said, we were doing some tough ISOs to finish up um, with, with one of my football groups. They lost the last game by 28 seconds. So we're doing these 28 second finishers. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we do these ISOs to finish up and it, you know, everybody quits, right? Like as soon as it gets hard, they quit. And this is something that if you want to, if you want to hear coach Yoakum talk about it, you can go to the cutoffs of coffee podcast. We talked about it, take a crazy dive in it. But so it's hard for them. They drop the bar. I'm not mad. I understand it's a hard thing I'm asking you to do, but at the very end, it gives me a great opportunity for a coaching point, right? I said, Hey, raise your hand. I said, raise your hand in here. If you had to overcome adversity to be here and like, you know, like a couple guys raised their hand and then they kind of think like, yeah, okay. So, you know, and then eventually like 50 guys got their hands up and I'm like, dude, me too. Like we had to go through something to be here, but, but look at this, we're all here together. This kid, it was his first day and y'all were cheering him on. You don't even know his name. Do you want to introduce yourself? He doesn't know who you are, but you guys were cheering for each other, right? We've overcome adversity before this, this weight room thing is cool. And this is fun. And this is great that we get to do this because this is the stuff you're going to remember when you get older. And when you guys are on the field and it's fourth down, you're going to remember like these kind of things, but just remember like you overcame adversity. You you went through hell to be here. You had a tough time to get here, but we're here, right? So now that we're here, let's get the most out of it. When your brain tells you to stop and it's something's hard, it's so easy to stop. But if you would have stopped, you wouldn't have been here, right? So like, let's be better. And so my big thing has really been like, open up coach. Like, don't like, this is an intimidating place for a lot of people. People don't love the weight room. Like we love the weight room right? We've been successful. We're strong. We're fast. Like we can jump over things. That's really cool for us. That's probably not as cool for like the third string, you know, women's basketball player who like just wants to be in the weight room to be around her friends and to have a good experience. Right. So like, who should I be if I take that away from her? Um, so like that has been, that has been my big push. And, and again, it all goes back to kind of, it goes back to gratitude, but it goes back to a place where like, they don't teach you that in the exercise science books. Like they don't teach you that in, in the books that you have to read to get your master's. And I wouldn't know because I didn't, but from all the ones that I have talked to, they don't teach you that. And I think that's like a huge chunk that's missing in, in our field right now. Yeah, dude, the, the open up coach. I think we, I just had Angus Bradley on yesterday. Uh, we were talking about like the number one thing as a coach is like, just be yourself, man. Like that, that is so important. Like we, we talk, like you want the athlete to open up. You want the athlete to be themselves. You want the athlete to tell your truth. And then you show up in the polo uh, with the school logo and you show up saying exactly what your boss told you to say or what your mentor told you to say. Uh, and you're a robot. Like, of course, the athlete is going to be a robot. Of course, the athlete, like you said, is going to say, yes, sir. No, sir. Like whatever you like, you know, like it, that's, that's not a relationship. It's easy. It's easy for you as a coach. Like I've been there. My first year as a coach, that was me showed up tight polo, ready to do it, just yelling at them like the coach yelled at them, ready to go. And it was the easiest coaching job I had because all, all they did was yes, sir, no, sir. But we didn't get shit done. We didn't open up with our athletes. We didn't grow as a team, you know? And once I started to realize like, oh, of course they're not opening up. I'm not being myself. Like, why would they be themselves if their leader is not being themselves? You know, like they're just going to be the robots that I'm being and trying to open up yourself as a coach. And I think part of that goes back to like the hard stuff that you talk about, like actually paying attention to your own life, you know, actually fixing your own life before you go in and try to lead a bunch of people, uh, which I think is something that's probably not talked about enough in our field, you know, like doing these things, it's just, it's so much easier to be the robot, but you're, you're so much less fulfilling and you get so much less done with your athletes and with your teams when you are like that. Yeah, dude, that, that reminds me of a wild story. Um, 
two a couple of years ago, I was in one, I was in one of the schools that I, that I started. And, and I say that that sounds super selfish. It's, it's my company. I'm the coach who's in there for the, for the time being. Um, so I don't mean to sound like that, but at the time I was working at our facility, right? So it's this big state of the art facility. It's, it's the biggest um, training facility in Ohio. We're actually, it's, it's 70,000 square feet. We're actually about to build a 90,000 square foot building right next to it. It's going to be like this ultimate sports campus. I mean, it's going to be incredible. We're adding like 16 basketball courts, like all these volleyball courts. We got these indoor baseball field, golf simulator. I mean, it's gnarly, right? So I'm there training athletes. I've got one, one hour. I'm working with this football player, which I use even that word loosely, this, this 10 year old football player whose dad thinks he's, this kid is the next Randy Moss, right? He wants him to train with me five days a week. I say, okay, he's 10. We can do once a week, maybe if he's up for it, but you have him so doing so much other stuff that like he needs to take a break at some point. I'm working with this kid for a couple of weeks. I say something. Um, and then I said, are you excited for the next session? Right. And he goes, I'm excited because we're going bowling later. Then I go, do you even like football? And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, football is okay. But like, I love bowling. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. It took me like three weeks to get to this, to get here. Right. So it's like, I'm having these conversations with his dad. Like he thinks this is training. This is what this is supposed to look like. His son's supposed to do this. His son's going to go to the NFL, break all the records. Right. The next hour I'm working with a professional athlete who's getting paid a ton of money and he's addicted to drugs, but he comes in because he knows like, I'm going to train him hard. I'm going to give him what he needs. And we're going to have some of those conversations, but like he can't perform unless he's under the influence. So like, I've got this 10 year old. I've got this pro athlete who is, who is like addicted to street drugs. I go to a college, right? I, I have a team of softball players. I put some stuff on the board and I'm like, Hey, you know, let's get after it, whatever. Within like the first 15 minutes, I see girls from the other side of the gym, walk over, cheer, support, high fives, some other girls who I, who I don't often see them communicate with. I see girls hit PRs on like cleans. I hit like some girl hit some crazy lunge number. Everybody goes nuts. Like 25 girls are like screaming at the top of their lungs. And this is at seven in the morning. And I like, it's a little too much for me. Um, but I'm sitting back by the dumbbells, like fighting back tears. Right. And again, like I'm super emotional. I get, I, I get it from my father. I have to, um, but they come up at the end, they wrap it up and they're, they're just waiting for me to be like, be like, all right, guys, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you say as a coach, like, oh, fuel your body, get what you need, you know, throw some carbs in there uh, and crush practice today. And I was like, hey, um, th this is it. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, th like, this is why I do this. Like, you, you don't understand. Like yesterday I had a guy who's at the peak of his playing career who is in a very bad spot emotionally, mentally. I got this other father who I'm fighting, who will pay me any amount of money to train his 10 year old kid who doesn't even like playing football. And then I come in here and I watch you all thrive. Right. And I'm like, I'm having a hard time not crying because I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. And they're like, Oh my gosh, CT like this. And I'm like, it's you, right? Like I didn't have anything to do with it. If anything, I set a culture to where they could succeed and fail. Right. And be comfortable um, because girls were going for numbers that they hadn't hit before. They were going to try things they hadn't done before, but like I had to be honest and be like, dude, I'm sorry. I wasn't coaching the last hour. I was trying not to cry because I was so motivated and I was so moved. Right. And I go, I go back to the facility and I start, I start telling, telling the story and 
we got um got a couple of coaches who were like, dude. So what were the what were the sets and reps? I'm like, no, no, no. You're you're not hearing me. So and they're like, you said what was the it was a front foot elevated reverse lunge, and I'm like, you I'm like you guys aren't hearing the story. Like the point is, I just stepped away and I let them get together and I let them laugh and I let them enjoy themselves. And all of a sudden they all had success, you know, and I got, I got like chills, like thinking about it. And so like, that's what it is. So all of our coaches are trying to figure out like, man, I got this program, like, Hey CT, what do you think about this program? They sent it to me. And I'm like, I, I don't know, like, do you know any of their names? Well, no, like I, I know their back squat numbers. Right. And so it's like, this is, this is where I am now. And I've kind of like ebbed and flowed out of like, yes, this is very important. This isn't important. But like right now, my big thing is like, this is important is like putting them in a position where they can thrive. And I know that's something you talk about all the time, like with the ISOs and the games and all that stuff. And, and it's great to see. And it's, and it's so awesome for me to see that it's happening other places because like, this has got to change. Um, and it changes with conversations like this, I think. Yeah, dude, the, 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 like you, the, you put it in such a good way. It's like, they know the numbers more than they know the person. Like I have, I've, I've legit, like what you're saying, I've legit seen. It's like, they, they know exactly what that person, 90% of their squad is. And they have no idea what their middle name or first name or last name is like, or nickname. It's like, come on, man. Like, like you said, they're totally missing the picture, but you did a great job there of kind of tying this into the next thing that I want to talk about. I didn't mean to take you down the whole psychology route for the first 40 minutes. I knew we were going to get there. I knew, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew we were going to talk about it like for three hours. I told you, um, but tying it into you and I were talking yesterday and that's why I wanted to hop on the podcast is we're talking about the Olympic lifts or not, you know, like the whole conversation yeah. of like unilateral versus bilateral. And then you look at the athletes playing on the field. It's like, that is not what they're talking about at all. Like it's just, it's just masters and PhDs of their entire sport and tying it back into your story. You were talking about like how you would watch these old films and like, just trying to mimic what that old wide receiver was doing, you know, and like trying to use some of those moves, but it's like that PhD, that absolute expert, their sport. And when you hear them talk about it, it's like not once, not once did they mention Olympic lifts bilateral lifts, unilateral lifts, even speed, even power for the most part. It's like, this guy was here. I saw the covers they were in. I knew this spot was going to be open. I knew my QB would be under pressure and he would have to throw from this. And that's why I was there. It's like, all right, man. Like, wow. Like that, that's a totally different view yet. We, we just eliminate that. And we're like, nope, like we're going to argue about this today on Twitter. So I just love to hear as a professional football player, as a sports performance specialist in the field, like why, like, why do we talk about these things when they don't matter? And why, why don't you think they matter? Where, where does training come into play? Like dive into this whole thing for me and kind of explain it to me. Yeah, dude, it, it's such a cool flex, right? Like that. I think that's, I think that's like the best way to say it is like, I did that. Right. And, and it always reminds me of the scene, like when stuff comes up like this, like that scene from coach Carter, right. He puts in these offensive plays, they score. And he's like, yeah, I did that. You know, and he's trying to prove to the point he's trying to prove the point to the kids. Like it's bigger than it's bigger than this. Like we shouldn't be selfish and we shouldn't, you know, take, um, you know, take all of these things that are happening and then say like, it's because of us. Um, I think, and, and you've done a really good job about basically explaining that, like, we've got to give, you know, people a reason to hire us. We've got to give people a reason to like put us, put us in this position. Um, and, and I keep getting to the point where I am taking steps back. And I think like my position is less important 
as a performance coach. So I need to figure out like what it is I'm doing to be able to actually like bring benefit again to these athletes. And that's where the whole psychological thing really like started. Like I said, I mean, like my dog's laying here right next to me. Like I could, I could put a program on the board and my dog could lay here and people would be like, yep, got it coach. You know what I mean? And it's just like a, it's just like a dog. Um, what, what is important is like getting people in the position where they can do something consistently and they can do it with intent. If it's an Olympic lift, I think that's cool. If it's a trap bar jump, I think it's cool. If it's a kettlebell swing, I think it's cool. I, I think we just have to place people in positions where, all right, I'm here with my buddies. We're having a good time. We're working hard. We're doing it consistently. I know I got to do it four times a week and I know I got to do it at 6 a.m. So if that changes what I do Monday evening and that changes what I do Wednesday evening and that makes me more accountable and more responsible to my teammates. And now I understand that like, okay, this is going to be hard on Friday, whatever it is. I know I have to show up and I know I have to bring it because it's important to the other people around me. That's when I've seen the most success. Like that's when I've, those are the best teams I've played for. Those are the best teams I've coached. Um, I go back to this, to this team that I, I played for in 2014, who we were at the time we went 17 and one in the regular season. We were, uh, we had the most wins in the regular season of arena football history. And the league had been around uh, 28 years. So it was a, it was a pretty big feat. We were at the beginning of the year, preseason ranked last. So there were 16 teams in the league. We were like 15 or 16. Um, our, our guy who ended up being a starting quarterback had a losing record the last two years. Um, I was the projected number one receiver. I'd only caught like six, six or seven passes in the league before we had a D lineman um, who like rode the bench for three seasons. Our center was way too old, had no business playing. Two of our defensive backs uh, retired for two years and came back. Like all this stuff was going on. Right. But what we did was every Sunday night we got together and sang karaoke at a bar, all 25 of us, which was sick. And then during our warmups, we, we like almost role played an entire call of duty game. Right. So like one of my buddies would run over to the box. He'd get the box. He would get a machine gun, right? He would toss me the machine gun. One of my boys would turn into a zombie because we were playing uh, call like call of duty zombies a ton. He turned into a zombie. He hit somebody else. This guy would turn into a zombie. We'd start shooting them. And you, if you got hit, you turned into a zombie. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable the stuff we were doing. And our coach just like sat back and was like, Hey man, this is what they do, right? This is why they're successful. We practiced hard. We went in the weight room. We trained hard. Um, we cleaned, we snatched, we benched. Some guys went and got treatment. Some guys went and ordered subway. Um, we sat in meetings together. And we enjoyed it. We enjoyed being around each other. Um, you know, again, being a weight room guy, like I had a pretty strict program I stuck to. Um, and, you know, with my football players, it's always like heavy as close to after the game as you can um, just to kind of flush out the lactic acid, to flush out the soreness a, a day after usually Tuesday or Wednesday, if you're playing on Saturday or Sunday, right. You do like a heavier upper body lift. And then Thursday is just going to be some accessory stuff, some jumps, some, some lands, you move a little bit, sweat a little bit, um, Friday walk through, then play Saturday. So like, that's what I'm doing pretty consistently. But if I'm supposed to ask the 40 year old fullback, right. Who's been like a 10 time all league player to jump in with that, he would not only cuss me out, but like, he wouldn't get any benefit from it. He would be sore. He would be tired. Like he wouldn't be able to handle it. Um, if I asked my quarterback to do that, he would enjoy it for a while, but you know, maybe he's again, not used to some of these movements. Um, so like the weight room's gotta be important. Right. And again, this is what I keep going back to is like, 
there has to be something there. And, but I don't, I don't think it's the numbers. I don't think it's the exercises. I think it's like the intent and the consistency and understanding that there are people who are relying on you to be there, whether it be your teammate or whether it be your, your, your coach or whether it be your parents or whether it be your girlfriend, just like having to show up for somebody. And then also understanding that it's going to help you in the long run, you know, longevity, live longer, um, you know, all those sort of things. And, you know, especially now, but I know that didn't answer, that didn't answer your question. Um, and so I, again, I'm sorry to kind of go off on that, but like, that is what I think is important is just like the community and, and what you create from it. And then outside that, it's like, it's cool, dude. If you guys take out back squats from your program, but don't like flex and say that this is the reason why your team is good or bad. Like at a T three, like if you're an athlete, you're working with me, we're going to lunge. We're not going to squat. And we do that because lunging's hard. And I like focusing on single leg strength and stability, but like, I can't just go out and tweet that. Like, I'm like, I'm the lunge guy. You know what I mean? Like you are a better athlete because of me. And I'm like, bro, I'm not out there. My golfer hitting, hitting bombs off the tee box. Like I'm not out there striking out dudes, throwing the ball 97 miles an hour. I just like have them in, have good conversations. They work hard. We happen to focus on Olympic lifts sometimes, jumps sometimes, squats sometimes, lunges sometimes. Um, but we have a good time and we're very consistent and we get after it. And then that's what kind of rolls over onto the field. And I think, I think that's the important part. Again, it didn't exactly answer your, answer your question, but I'm like, I'm still trying to fight people on the fact that like, I'm not that important, right? I think it's, it's culture and community and, and everything else that goes on, which is like the big important piece. Well, does that it, answer at all? Anything that you, you had asked there? Yeah. It answered one of the most important questions of the podcast, which was you have professional karaoke singer in your Instagram bio. And I was wondering about that. So is, is, and that, and I'm assuming that's why you were the best one out of them. Yeah, man. So when you're good at something, you never do it for free. Right. So, um, two years, we got asked myself and my, and my quarterback, we got asked to basically like try this karaoke tournament, right? It was like this 10 week, like winner take all like big time, like tournament that was hosted by a, a local bar. So we not only were training hard on the field, but we were also like, you know, my, my boy would come to the room after practice and, and I grew up like being a big boy band fan. And so we, I knew all the sync dances. I knew all the backstreet dances. I knew all the Justin Timberlake moves. So like I taught him choreography and then we ended up winning like two years of back-to-back -back, um, karaoke championships. We won a thousand bucks, thousand bucks each time. So now it's like, I can claim being a professional because I've been paid to do it. And then, so now it's like, you know, like, like the Joker said, like I just said, like, I'm not just going to go do it all the time. Um, because I can't just like give that greatness away. Um, but it is on YouTube it is on YouTube, Shane and CT uh, karaoke West park station. And it's going to be some, some really good stuff, especially like if you grew up in my era where it's like Justin Timberlake was it, everybody's like getting perms and frosting their tips. And then it's like, you're fighting over backstreet boys are in sync. 98 degrees comes in, kind of makes, makes a little name for themselves. Um, but yeah, if you like that kind of stuff, you're going to be embarrassed for me when you watch this, um, these oh, karaoke videos. I'm for sure. I'm for sure. YouTubing that as soon as we get done with this. Uh, I have to. Yeah. I think, I think you'll appreciate it. I think <laughs> you'll appreciate it. That's awesome. Uh, I, I did want to talk. I, I wanted to talk about. So the first time we met was on your cutoffs and coffee podcast. Uh, and you, you mentioned the, the private sector gym that you're at uh, something that I think, and it's been kind of not, I wanted to say gaining traction, but people are always interested in it is like the importance of kind of that side hustle. We, we, I feel like we don't talk about the business aspect, um, the, the connection aspect enough in our field. It's like, mostly we don't talk about it because like if you talked about it, it would be like, it would hurt a lot of coaches feelings because they're getting paid like 30 to $40,000 at like 
a division one school working 90 hours a week and being a slave to somebody, you know, like it would hurt their feelings. Whereas I think if we open up and can talk about it, we can be like, all right, like private sector is getting paid this. Like, why, why are we getting paid that? You know? And like really talking about the importance of that side hustle, the, how, how has some of these side hustle things helped? How has side, some of these private sector things helped? How is it giving you the financial freedom to do what you want to do? How has the, the kind of connections you made through the podcast itself helped? What has kind of been the journey like for you in that? Yeah, it's been wild. I, uh, I started originally kind of on accident in group, in group fitness. Um, I had trained some athletes on the side when I was in, in college and I had some success. And so I just wanted, I, I ended up at a gym in one of the, one of the, um, places I was playing and I started working group fitness and I just always been like, if I, if I'm not doing a lot, I just feel you know, uh, lazy. I feel like I could be doing more. So I was always one of those guys, like two or three jobs. Um, and I, you know, again, I get that from my parents. They always work super, super hard. Um, so I saw that growing up. So that's something that I always knew that like I, I wanted to do and I had to do. Um, so I started, started in group fitness and then I was, you know, I'm, I'm just like the cheerleader, right? I got a microphone on my, like right in my, in front of my mouth. Like I'm screaming like three, two, one, and like go on time. And I'm like cranking the music and it's so loud. And I'm, I'm coaching like 11 group fitness groups a day and like losing my mind, you know, and it's whatever, eight bucks an hour. Um, and so I started there and I realized like, okay, this is definitely not what I want to do, but I had this going on. And then I had the football thing going on. So I'm thinking, okay, anywhere I go, I'll be able to play football and I'll be able to, you know, be somewhere in the fitness industry. Um, and so fitness was kind of like the second thing. Right. But then as I continued playing football, I was always trying to find a spot to do something when I retired from playing football. So ended up in a great, in a great spot, uh, teaching lessons to football players when I, when I got here to Cleveland and then ended up like falling into a, a performance coach position, basically because one of the coaches didn't show up. I was done with a lesson. Nobody was there to run the group. And I looked around and I'm like, all right, CT, your time to shine. You know what I mean? So I take these kids through like some speed work and then we get like, do whatever we do some core, we end up getting in the weight room and my boss sees the thing. And my boss is like, dude, like you should do that. Like, why aren't you doing that? You know, um, I thought, oh, I guess I never really thought about it. So I like kind of fell into it. And then um, I was lucky enough to end up like moving in with a guy who is now my cutoffs and coffee co-host is my mentor is one of my best friends um, who's taught me so much about training. And like really a lot of these ideas have come from have come from conversations that we've had, because like our goal as a coach should not be to be on a training floor for 60, 70, 80, 80 hours a week. Like I would eventually like to spend more time with my girlfriend and spend more time with my dog and like build this family. Um, and this is the first podcast I've done since I've got a dog, by the way. So that's why I've like already mentioned him twice. Um, I'd like, I'd love to work my way off of the training floor more, but still be able to impact the same amount of people. Um, and I realized pretty quickly after working, even in the private sector, like 90 to like 110 hour pay periods, like two week pay periods. And I thought like I was the man because I was crushing. I was saying yes to everybody. Like I was working Monday through Friday. I went 93 straight days um, of work. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. You know, and then I was absolutely shot. And I wasn't able to like have conversations with the people I cared about and spend time with the people I cared about because I was so focused on that. Um, so I, you know, I decide like there, there's got to be there's got to be more. So decided to take this role kind of as a as a coach who oversees more, more of our coaches. Cause now I've been in it for long enough that, that I can be able to, to help other coaches. Um, also quarantine was a big thing. You know, quarantine was huge. It's like, all right, now you can't do one-on-one -on -one training. So you got to figure it out. And, you know, like 
speed is one of the things that I feel like I do a, a really good job of, of coaching. So I had to figure out how to coach speed to kids anywhere in the world through zoom, through Facebook, through Instagram in an area like, you know, six by six feet. Um, and we had some success doing that. And as soon as I saw that and I saw that like, Oh, this could be something. I wonder if other people are doing this. What if we start a podcast, start talking to other people, see how they're doing it, make some connections there. Um, so we did that with cutoffs and coffee. We, my brain starts to expand. Cause I'm thinking I'm not the only one thinking this way. Like I'm not the only one doing it. This there, there must be something there. Um, and then you really just like build that kind of crew, that circle of people who are like, always supportive, always picking people up, always helping you move forward. Right. Like I have questions. I have the couple of people I go to. And then, you know, from there, they've got the couple of people they go to. And what it's done is just like you said, financial freedom is a great way to put it. Um, because I've now kind of taken that into the conversations that I have with some of my athletes and some of the team training I do where it's like, you want to do it your way. You've hired me to do it. You can do it your way if you would like, just understand I'm not going to be a part of it. And I used to not be able to do that because like, okay, if I don't have this gig, then I can't go do anything else. Um, but now I can say like, oh, do you want me to like, to like static stretch your team before the game? Um, let's not do that because I don't think that's going to be beneficial for them for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason. I think if they just get that extra hour of sleep the day before the game, like the day of the game, it'll help them more than them waking up and and me like sitting down and doing like hamstring stretches. Right. And then like telling coaches, I had screenshot of someone sent it to you the other day where our football coach said, Hey man, can you get, can you open up some more time, which is my time, right? Can you open up some more time to the gym where we can got, bring some guys in and, and have them do some more work. And I was like, no, I, I don't think that'll benefit them for this reason, this reason, and this reason. But five years ago, working 110 hour pay periods, like I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that because I felt like I needed that hour. I felt like I needed to make that money. So, you know, transition into podcasting, transition into, um, you know, like doing some writing now, finally, like coming around, like coaching some other coaches, doing some speaking engagements, like doing all these other things, just expanding and understanding that we are in a position to be able to do that because we have these conversations every day, one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting. Like, why can't I step back and have those conversations online in a in podcast form? Because I know that's, what's going to help more people. Um, so I think it's great to just always be curious and, and test yourself. And the other big thing for me is like, taking on other things is a challenge. And I've, and I've asked people recently, and I'm, I'm trying to do some self-reflection of this. Like what was the last thing I did that I was scared to do? And what was the last skill I learned right and at, at, at 34 years old? I'm like, dang, I haven't learned a skill in a while. And I thought like, Oh, I taught myself fast car by Tracy Chapman on the guitar. And like, that was a really hard thing to do. Right. But that made, that made me better. So like what else is out there that I can, that I can teach myself and that I can learn that will will make me better. And that's what like picking all of these things up on and like having your toe in like a lot of different waters, I think is, is what's been, been helpful for me. Cause it's just showing that you can always do more if you want to, you know, you know, I mean, you don't have to like not force anybody to do anything, but like, if you want to do something, try it, go for it, give it a shot, see what, see what happens. If you like it, great. If not, no problem. Move on to the next thing. Yeah. I want to, I want to draw that back a little bit to your, you talked about how like you were, you were, you're, you were doing the 90 to hundred hour work weeks. And then you were saying like, now your goal is like 
you're grinding to get out of like the 90 to hundred hour work weeks where it's like the, everybody else is like the, the, the amount of questions I get. It's like, how many athletes are you training? How many sessions are you running a day? How many hours are you work in a week? It's like, they, they want you to like have more, you know, like it's, it's like that sense of pride. It's like that ape in us that like wants more and more. It's like, why? Like I, I have two sessions a day, you know, like that's it. Like, that, like that's all I'm doing. Like, I'm not, why would I want more? Like, that's not the point of life. You know, like your point is not just to be stuck through there. And it's just like, you just get these questions over and over again. It's like they're, they're re- they want, they like, they almost want you to be trapped. You know, like everybody wants like right. to be trapped in that mold where it's like, you can, you can take a step out. Like you, you can take that step back and then be free and do the things that you want to say, uh, do things that you want to do. Like the pursuing of the like skills acquisition, you know, like pickleball is something I started to pick up that the, getting beat awesome. by these old ladies, you know, but like it's, it's not like the skill itself. It's the pursuit of something, you know, like the pursuit of something more, the pursuit of the guitar, you know, like that type of stuff. And you can't do that when you are stuck. And yet it, it, to me, it's like, it's almost like it scares people when you're free, you know, like it, it scares people. They don't yeah. like it. Like it's, oh, it's that's so a great way different to put it. that it, it's so different that it scares them. And they want you to like, why aren't you running 10 sessions? Why aren't you like doing this? And why aren't you doing that? It's like, like why, why would I, you know, like, why would I? Right, right, right. It's funny. Cause I had that conversation with my girlfriend, like on Sunday, he's actually never, he's actually never made that noise. That's crazy. Hey man. Oh, that was wild. We got, that was an exclusive on the, on the, <laughs> an exclusive, uh, that was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. My dogs ever barked like that. That's crazy. What's, what's his name? Knight um, is his name. Like the Knight. dark Knight. Okay. He's got a, it looks like a little mask on his eyes. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Marcus has got to cut this thing out. I'm sorry. I'm, I got to no, be the worst no, this is awesome. ever, You mentioned the dog is, and now he's like, hey, this is my time yeah. to shine. Yeah, yeah. Try to try to make a show. You'll be the next guest, man. Um, yeah, gosh, where, where were we before that? Um, chasing the hours. Uh, chasing the hours. Yeah, I did think that was great, dude. Because I, I remember saying like, somebody was like, uh, oh, yeah, the conversation with my girlfriend. But I, I was saying that for a while, like, Boom, baby, 95 hours. And it was like, they were like, cool. Like I was 40 and I'm like, ah, loser. You know what I mean? Like you only worked 40 hours these last two weeks. And then I, you know, and then I realized like, oh wait, I had no time to do nothing. I'm not enjoying this life at all. Like, what am I actually doing here? Um, And then that is what I recognize. Like, stop flexing about that. And the other thing was the conversation that I have with, with Danielle is like, you know, Sundays I'll be doing some scheduling and stuff. And she wants me to spend time with her. I obviously want to spend more time with her, but the conversation is like, I'm trying to do this now. So five years from now, six years from now, I don't have to do this now, right? Like we can spend this time. And and that's, I think that's what coaches need to start thinking because it's so easy to get caught up in this, caught up in this loop, especially if you're in a situation where you have personal training clients, right? It's like, all right, Sunday, I got to sit down. I got to schedule them Tuesday and Thursday. And then I got to do it the next week. And I figure out, okay, well, they're on vacation Tuesday and Thursday. So yeah, I can do Monday night. I don't really want to. That's, that's when bachelor's on. And that's when I watch it with me. Yeah, but yeah, we'll do Monday night. Right. And like, it, it's there. And it, cause I've been there, I've been caught up in that. And then I had to take a step back and I got to the point where I actually stopped taking one-on-one clients, because I just thought like the energy that I'm putting into that, I wanted to help them. I wanted to help them as much as I could, but like the, the energy I put into that was taking away from me being able to actually enjoy training and like be able to enjoy being on the floor and being able to give the people I was working with everything. Um, and that happened. I mean, like within the last year where I was finally like, Hey man, sorry, I, I can't. Oh, but you're like the 90 hour a week guy. Like you can take another one, you know? And it's like, yeah, but I, I, I'm not trying to be that. Um, and I, and I, and now I feel happier when I get to say like, yo, I only, I only had 26 training hours this week. Look at my growth. You remember when I was young and stupid and 30 years old and training, you know what I mean? 112 hours, like 
boom, baby, I'm grown up. I'm 34. I'm, I'm only doing 24 hours. Um, and then that gives me the opportunity to, to like put energy in the podcast. Like that gives me opportunity to like work on different skills. That gives me the opportunity to try to like do some of this acting and some of this movie stuff that like you would never be able to do if you were stuck in a box training people 110 hours. And not to mention the level of training you actually give those individuals when you're completely gassed. I mean, it's like they shouldn't even be spending spending money on that for the most part, but hopefully people understand that. And that's a big thing. Again, I talk to the coaches who I, who I work with, like tr try not to do that to yourself, play the long game. Like, can you coach this many hours for the next six years? You can't let's start making that change right away. Yeah. And one of the things that I love that you brought up is like, it makes you a better coach, you know, like doing all these other things outside, it makes you a more interesting coach. Like they want to talk to you. It makes you more yourself. It brings more energy. Cause that's just like, people are so scared of like cutting those hours. Like it's like, it's going to make you a better coach at such a more rapid pace than the coach that is working a hundred hours and just has nothing else to bring to the table. I, I we talked with uh, Kyle Dobbs and he's like, all these personal trainers, it's like they're personal trainers and their hobby is to train and their friends are personal trainers. You know, like it's literally just the same mold. It's like, what do you bring to the table? Like, are you an interesting person? Do people want to talk to you? Do they want to hang out with you in these sessions? You know, like, and I think it, it's super cool when you're able to take that step off and just like really expand who you are as a human and then funnel all of that energy into however many set the 20 hours a week that you're actually working on the thing. And those 24 hours are so much more rewarding. Um, I know you have to go here in uh, 20 minutes and I don't want to keep the rants going, but I do want to ask this before we get to our rapid fire rounds. For sure. How was the MGK concert? Um, I think life changing is, is an understatement. Um, I moved to Cleveland in 2014 and my, and my buddy who I keep bringing up, Mr. Chris, right. My, my nephew calls him that my, my good friend, Chris, he said, Hey bro, there's this white rapper out of Cleveland who you got to start listening to. Like all the teammates listen to him. I'm like, all right. He's like, yeah, machine gun Kelly. I'm like, dude, he sounds whack. Like that's the, you know, so I listened to like mind of a stoner. I listened to some of like his old lace up stuff. And I wasn't, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it. Um, and then when, when bloom came out in like 2018 and I don't know how far, you know, back you go, but like bloom came out, dude starts playing guitar. I'm like, dude, is this a clone or is this the same guy who was like rapping his ass off on that mixtape? Like, who is this guy? And then, you know, and I, I, then he's like into fashion and then he's like doing all this stuff and they totally switches genres and like takes over the world um, to see him like in that element back at his hometown, telling stories about like he, and he even said, he was like, bro, we were here in 2008 in a Jay-Z concert. And I said, I'm gonna sell this place out. And he was like, I did it. Like literally manifested this thing. Um, you know what I mean? Like however long ago. And that was so cool to see. And, um, the last thing I'll say about that is like, I don't think street drugs are legal in Ohio, but you would have not had any idea if you were at that show. I mean, that, that place was rocking. That place was crazy. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'll miss another MGK show in, in Cleveland for, for years to come. Yeah. The, the, the evolution part is something that I think is one of the coolest pieces, uh, just going, probably, we're probably taking this too deep, but I, I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's like, uh, yeah, not deep enough. If you ask me, he literally like went from one, like one person and completely evolved into another person as a superstar, you know, like even old MGK, people knew who he was. He had thousands and millions of people watching him. And then that person with thousands and millions of people watching him switches over to a completely different person, uh, different personality, like different what he's interested in and what he's doing. 
And yet we have strength coaches that have like, what, what I don't know, like the highest strength coach in our field has like 20,000 followers at max, you know, like most of us have like 5,000 and like, we, we, we won't evolve because we're so scared of what people will think of us. We won't say things because we're scared of what people say of us. It's like, to me, it, it was so cool just to watch that. I'm like, that dude is at the peak of his career, at the peak of everybody watching him. And he's just like, fuck it. That, this is what I'm interested in now. This is where my passions lie. This is who I am now. I'm going to put that out there for people to see. It's just who I am. And people grab onto that. And yet, like, you have the other end where, like, there is nobody watching you and you're still scared to do it. I don't know. It just kind of inspired me of, like, I can do that as well. You know, like, it's kind of all an illusion. Like, you, you can just make the life choice to be somebody different, be somebody better, change who you are and pursue what you're passionate about. That's such a dude. That's such a great point. And like, he's the same. If you, if you watch videos from then, he's like the same dude. So it's not like coach, we're not asking you to like, stop training. We're not asking you to take these things out. Like we're just asking you to not include one warm up with a skips in it. Like, why, why does that have to be prep work? You know? And it's like, these, these things are still coming up. Like I've got coaches asking me, it's like, so, um, okay. So the progression is what you said. It's ACE. A, then B, then there's a C skip. And I'm like, stop asking me these questions, right? Just like be better, right? Like evolve, just like be better, watch your sport, see what your, see what your athletes need. Give them that. If it doesn't work, try something else. Don't be married to anything, have a ton of tools in your toolbox and just like always try to provide the best service and give them what they need. And like, and that's it. And if you evolve and end up with Megan Fox, great. But if not, you know what I mean? If not, then like you've at least become a better coach, but you can still be the same, like good hearted person. Right. And then I, I think that is funny. It's like, if, if you, if you take out karaoke's in your warm up, like it, it's not going to change you. You can still be a good person, right? Like your team doesn't have to do layup lines for 45 minutes to warm up. You, it's not going to hurt you by taking that out. Right. Like, I'm, I don't know how you're so married to that or like these conditioning drills, or we've always done these, like we've always focused on mental toughness. It's like, it's okay. You'll still be a good person. Just like take them out and see, and see what happens. Um, but again, you know, most of us probably won't end up with, with Megan Fox, but we, you know, we can always try our best. Boom. Uh, tell me another podcast where they're talking about MGK and tying it in the strength conditioning field. There's just not Come one out on. there. Man. Yeah. On. yeah I've, at least I haven't heard it. Yeah. <laughs> send it, send, put it in the comments. <laughs> Last couple questions here. Rapid fire rounds. Uh, I got the first one here. Your favorite books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of. Uh, it can be in the field. It can be out of the field and whatever you want. Some of your favorite books. Yeah, dude. Love this question. Um, so I kind of, I unfortunately treat, I treat books like I treat coffee. Like I drink coffee out of K cups and I know it's disrespectful to the coffee itself to drink it out of a K cup, but I still enjoy it. So like books, I listen to the audio versions and I know I'm not doing it the, the best service that I possibly could. Um, but I've, I've digested in the last devoured is, is it really the word in the last two years, like a ton of, ton of audio books. And some of my favorite have been, um, anything by Dr. Joe, Joe Dispenza. If you're familiar with him, you are the placebo was like a mind blowing book, um, breaking the habit of being yourself, mind blowing. He really puts the science behind gratitude and optimism. And it's so, it's so awesome to hear that. It's not just like woo woo wee, like it actually changes you at the cellular level. If you believe in, in certain things. Um, and then two kind of, um, autobiographies that I really enjoyed, uh, Matthew McConaughey, green lights and Steve Martin born standing up. Um, I, I wasn't really super familiar with Steve Martin before, um, I heard somebody mention it. And both of those, those were the only two books that I've ever been driving 
and didn't want the drive to end uh, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't done listening to the book. So all those are, all those are awesome. I would suggest those for anybody. Boom. Have you read the book inside out coaching? No, I, I, I would recommend that one just based off oh, yeah. of our talk. I read it. Uh, I read it a couple months ago and it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty wild and deep into the, the psychological side of playing with gratitude and just playing with love rather than hate. And it was, it's from a, he's an NFL lineman. I think he's a hall of famer for uh, Baltimore. Um, and he talked about the, basically the same journey of how his whole time, it was basically, I'm going to prove somebody wrong. And then that led to a drug abuse type thing. Uh, and just like, like falling apart, but you're, you're a star on the field. And then him switching that over to more of playing with gratitude and living life full of gratitude. But it, that's what I was thinking. I couldn't awesome. think of the book while we were talking. I was like, Oh my goodness, this is exactly what it was. But I finally got it. It's inside out coaching, but it, it, it was, awesome. I read it and I was, I, I got was, it. I'm, I, that'll be next. Boom. Great. Then, Thank you for that. No problem. And then final question of the podcast and this one, all the coaching, all the podcast stuff is over. All the cutoffs are done. What do you kind of want your legacy to be? Yeah. I hope the cutoffs never end. Um, you know, that is one thing I want. I want to be a, a dad showing off his tattoos at, you know, I mean, 70, 80 years old. Um, I, I hope everybody looks back at their time with me and understands that like, I truly no matter the situation gave them the best version of myself possible at the time that I was with them, you know, whether it be like group fitness in 2011, um, or whether it be, you know what I mean? Wherever we're at in, in, in 2030, I hope people understand that like, I truly cared about them and I always believed in them more than they believed in themselves. Um, and I think if, if that's something that people talk about and that's something that people say about me, um, then I can consider my career a success. Um, I just like have, uh, I have to pass on what was given to me from, from my mother and my father and, and my sister and my family. And it's like, and it's, that's it. That that's exactly it. Just like being the best me possible and giving, giving everyone my all. Um, and I hope that I, that's something I try to do every day. And, and I hope people, people can recognize that. Well, boom, brother. Thanks for being on, dude. This is awesome. This is, this is everything dude, I thought our conversation was going to be. Thanks so much, man. I, uh, again, I always appreciate what you're doing, man. I stay up to up to date on all your podcasts. Um, and James, I had mentioned to my, my co-host that I was going to be on. He was like, oh, he's like, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit jealous, man. And I said, I'll, I'll let him know you'd be a good interview too. But yeah, man, thanks so much. But it's just always good to be able to like talk about this stuff with no concern what the other individual is going to think, um, you know, and just be able to get some stuff out that hopefully people can, people can take something from. Hell yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.